You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 445 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I'm Stephen Seagraves, joined uh, by Seth Miller and Fosma Moon. Hey, gentlemen. Yo. Howdy. It's, uh, it's Seth's birthday weekend. We're recording this on Sunday, and Seth's birthday was yesterday. So there, I just doxed you, so happy birthday. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things that is stupid, but I post a picture of myself on the internet holding up my fingers in the number of whatever year I am, so it's pretty obvious at this point for anyone who wants to. <laughs> oh, man. Um, well, I hope it was a good birthday. Uh, it looked yeah. like it was fun. Low-key, but fun. So, Got to try a new, newish restaurant in town, nice. or snacky cocktails and snackities, so that was nice. Was it pretty good? Yeah, it was actually really good. There's a a guy in Dover, New Hampshire, of all places, which is pretty random, who was a, like, one, wasn't top chef, but was chopped, maybe, and okay. won one of those contests. And so uh, he's got a fancy little, like, uh, tasting menu, whatever, restaurant. Oh. And it's, like, you know, six-course tasting menu, yada, yada, yada. And we had, but he's now opened up a adjunct bit to it that you can actually just order from a small menu. Oh, that's nice. So, you know, so, A, it's easy to get in and out, and B, you don't have to do a full tasting menu. So. Yeah. yeah, if you don't want to sit there for three hours. Yeah, which I've done a couple of times. It's wonderful. But, like, lately he's been into mushrooms, and I'm not. So that's awkward. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm into mushrooms, but I understand. Yeah, you know, next time you come visit, we'll go. Okay, sounds good. Well, you're, um, you get truffles over in Portland. Yeah, we do do. We have, tr- I mean, uh, truffles are a big thing here. Yeah. And mushrooms, like wild for- mushroom foraging. There's like mushroom foraging classes and stuff. You, you, think never... out, you take the pigs out into the forest to get your truffles? No, I, I do not. If I had pigs, I probably would, but I, I don't have pigs. That whole movie was filmed here. Pig with, uh, what's his face? It was, it was filmed in Portland. It's about a pig that finds truffles. So, yeah. Anyway, it's 100 degrees here, and that's too hot for August 17th. Let's talk about some ghost flights. Are you just in your car driving around with the air conditioning on? Well, yeah, I, my house has AC. Thank you very much. I'm not a Luddite. I do this podcast, don't I? No, it's uh, it's just been it's just been like with a kid, you just want to get him out of the house before it gets too hot, and so like up at eight a.m. and then out of the house by nine to go ride his bike around and then come home and hibernate. So that's what today was. But anyway. Um, Qatar Airways flying near empty planes to Australia. Uh, well, they're they're full to and from Australia. The problem is while they're in Australia. Oh, they're using like Fifth Freedom stuff that they don't have. It's like Cabotage's Ninth Freedom. Yeah. Um, we should look that up while we're talking here. So, uh, the gist of this is uh, that the Australian and Qatari bilateral agreement limits flights between. Uh, Qatar and the big cities in Australia. Mm-hmm. And Qatar asked for permission to fly additional flights, and the Australian government considered it and said no. And so instead, the Qatar Airways has done is much like the US-China bilateral that says, oh, well, for, you know, ter- secondary and tertiary cities, the rules are different. It seems that's the same with the Australian-Qatari bilateral. And so Qatar Airways is, te- is flying from, I think the story says it's Doha to Melbourne to Adelaide. Okay. And so Adelaide is a small enough city that it's not affected by the rule. And the flight comes with a seven-hour layover in Melbourne. 
and literally no one's and he has like no one takes that the onward Melbourne to Adelaide flight. <laughs> and they don't have local traffic rights because that would be cabotage. Yeah. Uh, so they can't sell Melbourne to Adelaide or vice versa. And occasionally there's a few people that actually do get on in Adelaide to fly via Melbourne back to Doha. But Qatar Airways also flies a nonstop to Adelaide. Is that so literally just doing this to have a second Melbourne flight that doesn't get counted as a Melbourne flight because it's a Adelaide flight and they're getting around this rule that way. And I do believe it is the ninth freedom. Uh, which is the right or privilege of transporting cabotage traffic of the granting state on a service performed entirely within the territory of the granting yeah. state. So, uh, while Australia and New Zealand allow cabotage amongst themselves, uh, that does not extend to the Qatar Airways, Qatari government, Qatari flagged airlines. Anyway, this is a an amusing thing in so many ways, but mostly that somehow Qatar Airways figured that it was actually worthwhile for them to operate this empty extra lag yeah uh how far is melbourne adelaide not far enough i mean <laughs> for i was just wondering like how much fuel are they burning to do it you know uh 400 miles yeah 400 miles okay so the plane gets up in the air and goes it's a it's a climb and dive okay yeah I feel when you're empty they're probably not burning that much fuel but that's true <laughs> that's probably what they plan for they're like eh, no one's gonna take this and hey maybe there's cargo yeah Okay, sure, Seth. I said maybe. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's an, that's one way to get around the rules. Yeah, and it, right, this also comes back to, like, I don't know, was it Gary Laff commented, or maybe the rules shouldn't exist in the first place, and eh, I, I'm not necessarily, I, I don't think that every country should necessarily decide that every, that open skies with everyone is always the right answer. Yeah. No, but I think there's a bit of nationalism going on with protecting Qantas. Oh, it's absolutely a protectionist policy, but whether it's Qantas or just Australian Airlines in general, and Qantas happens to be the only one these days, but at one point, you know, they did have Virgin Australia. Um, I'm not opposed to a government protecting its interests and its, you know, its local companies from encroachment by outsiders. But it's a disservice to passengers, right? When you, you throttle it off too much, right? There's a happy... There's a balance. There, there's a... It's a fine line. And yes, right. If it gets too bad, then yeah, you screw passengers. But also, right. This goes back to like every now and then people talk about the U S should open up and let anybody like should let Singapore airlines operate domestic flights in the U S and how much better that would be for passengers. Cause it'd be, you know, great service and blah, blah, blah. And like, yeah, but Singapore airlines isn't going to fly to Des Moines <laughs> and the airlines yeah. do are going to lose, you know, some of their other services. And that's just bad. Anyway, I, you mean Singapore airlines wouldn't offer, you know, first class service to Des Moines from San Francisco and other points. I think, uh, well, but would Emirates I, offer I, LA? But I, I think Stephen, I think they use a three class. I think they use a three class plan. It would be business, maybe economy, economy. That's tough. But would Emirates offer LA Baton Rouge? The, you're asking the important questions. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's talk uh, more about Cutter and uh, let's talk about AA. Um, they're swapping down to a 787 on their now changed route of uh, Philadelphia to Doha. And that's so that a 777W uh, or 77W can go to Sydney. Yeah, exciting so times. Going back to what we talked about last week, a little bit of that route shifting and yeah. still pretending that it's not related to the NEA. It just happens that, you know, they decided this year after two years of whatever else that Sydney's really where it belongs. <laughs> as far, I'd actually meant to check this. I don't think American puts 
too much. Do they do seventy sevens out of for long haul out of Philly? Uh, I should be out of oh. New York. Out of JFK? I don't think so. I don't think they have seventy eight seven JFK. Yeah. So that's part of I'm sure. And at the same time, right? Uh, United or sorry, uh, at the same time, Cutter is offering, uh, or there's potential that they're going to offer a third flight from JFK. Is that right? Yeah, they already loaded it. Oh, they did. Okay. Um, and that kind of happens at the same time as the AA flight, and then um, we don't know if Philadelphia on Cutter because they offer that service too um, will drop. I th- I could see them keeping it. I don't know. So. One of the things there is I believe that the, uh, and uh, currently American does not operate any 787s out of JFK. Um, it does not have any filed either for August or November of this year. And I could see, um, I think the issue there might be type of aircraft. Yeah. Um, and like, what does, uh, yeah. So right now, for the summer, Qatar Airways is using a triple seven, so it could just move that up to JFK. Um, in the winter season, it's scheduled to be a three fifty huh. on the Philly Doha route. So, but again, that, again, those are wingtip flights. They're like scheduled within ten minutes of each other, and Qatar Airways has loaded the American flight as a code share. So, wow, well, yeah, yeah. That'd be, that would be a lot of capacity, and again, in a market where who the hell knows how much demand there really is. Um, I mean, yeah, look, you have to remember there's a fair South Indian population spread around New Jersey. And, That's true. And yeah. Philly is far saner to get to than JFK. <laughs> Do you, are you saying that you enjoy it? Philly? Oh, I, Philly? oh I, was, I don't mind. I'd love Philly. It's an yeah. easy airport. Security is never crazy. Parking's not an arm and a leg. Yeah, not which, which security? Any of them. Yeah, I, I find there's the spread of the, how they're spread out and like finding the, the pre-check lines weird. Right? Don't they have like a dedicated checkpoint that's just pre-check? Uh, in B or C, I generally go in through D because it's the largest of the security checkpoint. And I don't think I've ever had more than five or six people in the pre-line. Yeah. Really? <laughs> Do you use clear so you don't have to actually be who you are when you go through I don't even. I don't even think there's clear there. Teasing. He that was a dig at me, Foz. More than just <laughs> dig it clear. If we're being honest, <laughs> um, the NTSB has released a report on the uh, United Triple Seven that was uh, climbing out of Maui uh, and had a rapid descent. Um, and the way I read it, Seth, you can correct me, but there was like a flap setting that the pilot or the pilot in charge, the the, the captain, captain called for. Uh, and the first officer did the opposite or something different, and that potentially caused the issue? It seems like they took off with flaps set at 20. The pilot called for flaps 5, and the first officer set flaps 15. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, the plane did not climb as expected. I, what I don't know is what you know those flap settings mean vis-a-vis climb out and how performance would be. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm wondering more about, like, okay, if, if flap setting's 15, as long as they were keeping airspeed, like, that's, I mean, middle of the... Right? Like, yeah, plane should go, plane should fly. Um, so did they reduce power? Th- did he reduce power thinking the flaps were up to five and he was going to, you know, he was going down to, like, climb power or something lower setting just to get, you know, best performance out of Maui and then started yeah. falling out of the sky? That's probably what happened. Um, 
not good. No. Yeah, and of course, because we don't have, they didn't report it. It was technically a not reportable incident, yep. which is bizarre to me. But uh, because they didn't report it, the plane kept flying, and we lost the CVR data. We don't know what actually was said. Yeah. Okay. Someone in my mentions was like, "Oh, did you think that the pilot called out flaps one five, and the FO only heard the five and set that instead of fifteen? Right? Like, I yeah. That being that seems reasonable to me. That seems reasonable. Yeah. So it's interesting. Um, anyways, we, we will never know, but I think the interesting thing at the end of it all is sort of that, like the NTSB report, because they had so little data to work with other than basically interviewing the two pilots, sort of the conclusion was, please don't crash your airplanes anymore. (laughs) Um, like don't do that anymore. And there was like, apparently United made a few changes to some crew policies, yada, yada, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Mexicana relaunch. It's happening next month. Or in December. There's a lot of confusion on this. I <laughs> the government is buying the Mexicana brand from the former employees. Okay. Apparently paying them fifty million for it, which is massively more than it's worth, but you know, it's been what, twenty years now, and so maybe this finally gets them made whole from the part where the the origin the previous owners basically took the money and ran. Um, and I wonder if this actually like they get the they'll get the counter space and the office space back at uh, what's it called at inter- at uh the airport in Mexico City? Oh, really? oh the uh, the old airport? Oh, the ori- I mean the original airport the, where the, they were the original where they were that's still the main one that's in use at Max the one that everybody uses or likes to use. Yeah. Um, I don't know if, I don't know if those protests were still going on. There was like a long-term encampment set up at the counters so that no other business could use them because the employees wanted to get paid at one point. But anyway, uh, the government is relaunching. They're leasing planes from Boeing, apparently. Because 800s So not Max's, somehow. And they're maybe coming with crew provided by Boeing, which doesn't make any sense to me. Huh. And the wet lease? But who... What what staff does Boeing have available to provide that? If Boeing doesn't have a random like flight attendant employee base sitting around somewhere, they just contracted to some. They just bid out and hire someone to do it. But that's possible. I I sent an email to Boeing asking, and they ignore me, so they don't. I don't know. But it was reported that Boeing is going to provide the staff, which is just bizarre to me. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know, but anyway, the Mexican government is going to operate it. The military is sort of overseeing everything. It's going to run domestic routes for the most part, uh, undercutting the commercial operators, which already, I mean, there's some relatively cheap fares in Mexico. So depending so, you know, how you look at that, that's either terrible or not. But yeah, I don't know. This This is a weird one. There's also apparently some laws in Mexico about the government, like about the military feeding itself and <laughs> its businesses doing things that benefit other businesses that it manages. And so because the government also, or the military is also managing like the tourist train in the Yucatan Peninsula that's being built out, having the airline feed that is raising some challenges or some questions. And the whole, the whole thing seems pretty stupid to me. Yeah. As well. But I, I don't see, it, I don't see it going well, honestly. Like I just don't, 
I don't know. I don't see it lasting. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Well, you know, it's the government. So they got money in theory. Sure. But I mean, at, at what cost, I guess? Yeah. Um, nah, I'm like, I think it's pretty stupid. But... We'll see, I guess. Um, let's see what else we got on the topic list here. Oh, the DOT extends the N90 slot waivers. Big, big stuff. Ish. Right, so this is this came up a couple of months ago. Now the DOT basically said if you want to fly in and out of New York, um, you or for the airlines flying in and out of New York, you can suspend some routes for the summer, and we won't take away your slots mm-hmm. and redistribute them. Which they were allowed up to ten percent. I don't think any of the airlines actually cut that much, but sure, fine. That was only supposed to last through mid September for the peak season, and. Given the performance thus far this summer, the airlines came back. We're like, hey, uh, we think we should actually drop them for the rest of the summer. Completely. Hmm. Uh, through the end of October, basically, when the IATA season shifts on, what's it, the 29th, whatever that Saturday is. So uh, the DOT has agreed and said, yes, we will let you drop those flights now through the end of October and not lose your slots. Yeah. Yeah. So probably good news for passengers, right? This is. But this also goes back to, like, when United had the opportunity to drop some flight, they, ch- they dropped a grand total of 15, which isn't very many. Yeah. But, yeah, every little bit helps, but it'd be nice to help better. Yeah. Um, and then U.S. and Chinese frequencies are increasing. So the U.S. to China flights are slowly coming back. Uh, United's bringing back San Francisco to Beijing, and uh, they're going to make San Francisco Shanghai daily. Um, and that's in, and then China Airlines uh, or sorry Air China uh, is going to bring some flights back as well as is that China Southern I mean you I can never remember what Eastern started was Eastern China Eastern okay yeah. Yeah. Southern yeah yeah um yeah this is interesting in a couple of ways one so part of this is right the two countries have been sort of sparring over how many frequencies would be allowed the the U S wants more and China has been holding off on letting more come back is my understanding yeah um. As of September, and it's currently, I think, at 12 each right now, weekly frequencies. Mm-hmm. Um, so U.S. carriers are allowed to operate a grand total of 12 flights to China, to the big four cities. And similarly, Chinese carriers are allowed to operate 12 from the, those cities to the United States. Um, it's going to 18 on September. For, and 12 was a big deal. It was 8 until like a month ago. Uh, it's going to 18 on September 1st and 24 in October. Okay. Um so doubled, but still nowhere close to what the full complement is. I think the full one is like, I want to say it's like seven or eight a day. Possibly. Huh. So um, it's getting there, but very slowly. Uh, what's interesting about this in some ways is the agreement was published by the DOT on Friday, I think. And on like Wednesday or Thursday, the Chinese airlines filed their... Uh, plans to increase service with the DOT. Mm-hmm. And so those filings were public. And I, I saw them when they came up. I'm like, oh, look, you know, Air China's adding a route. Chinese Eastern's adding another frequency. Um, and didn't stop to think of where are those extra frequencies coming from. And so they maybe jumped the gun, gun a little bit on the announcement. But now we have the announcement public, so we know what's going on. So anyway, wow. I think it was slightly awkward for, you know, regulatory and negotiations reasons. Jeez, I do you think? I mean, how close are we to like full flights coming back? In your opinion, like back to normal schedules? 
maybe for the spring 2020 or the summer northern northern summer 2024 schedule so let's that starts in march if if these they see these flights are full and things are going well things are going well in both countries right part, it's not just that the flights are full it has to be that both countries are satisfied that they can staff them and operate them and right like if only the u.s carriers flights are full but the chinese carriers aren't it ain't gonna happen or vice versa yeah yeah Makes sense. um one thing i did see is that for the chinese uh i'll and we, we talked a little bit about the de- quote-unquote decoupling last week, I think. But uh, I think there's a push to resume tourism, outbound tourism, and specifically some of the package deals that are pretty popular. Yep. Um, and those are a big deal for especially the Chinese airlines for China Point of Sale. So it is ni- that's that has been recently sort of allowed to happen. So I think that will help the situation, help fill the planes, help make everybody happy along the way. Good time, but I mean, I hope it happens. It's, it probably should. Yeah, I mean, I would, I'd like to see it come, you know, have it come back to normal. I mean, it might do some boosting of. I think it would boost the U.S. economy a bit with tourism and families wanting to get back to see each other and having the options, right? So, yeah. I think that's that's good. Um, I still don't know that I would take a flight to China right now, personally, but that's me. I'm quite certain I wouldn't. Yes. Um, Boz, what about you? Would you take a flight to China? Paz muted himself. Oh, it might be. Might be away. Oh, so I'm here. No, I w- <laughs> and I would not. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then Frontier. I don't know why Ed isn't on this episode, but uh, Frontier has another Go Wild Pass option. They uh, they keep doing this. And we <laughs> we talked about this last week. And it was like, last week it was, oh, we're waiving the initiation fee, but the first month is some number. And this time is, we're charging the initiation fee, but the first month is free. Uh <laughs> I, I give them props for being so aggressive and trying to make this thing work. I just, I can't tell if this is fetch and it's never going to happen. I I don't understand. I mean, you think they're doing it for maybe the headlines? Like, could it just be like a headline? Like, it is good marketing, right? Like, yeah. Like, shit, we keep talking about it, so it must be, work, be working. Yeah. I just don't know. I, do you think it works for a lot of, uh, or enough people to actually be something folks are taking them up on. I, I would love to know the stats. I mean, we're never going to know, but I would love to know the stats on how many people are buying this. And right. The, the other question is, does it work for people or do, do people think it will work? Yeah. Yeah. And buy it just in case. Um, also, and I, you know, we make not fun, but ask, you know, po- poke a little bit at Ed about him buying it. He got the year long version at a pretty decent rate. It's now like, $49 for your free first month. So whatever. But then it's like 150 bucks a month. That's not nearly as good a rate as 600 bucks for the year. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I don't know. They, they have also, though, they're celebrating their 29th birthday and so have been pushing very heavily on $29 carry on or check bags and $29 seat fees. Maybe it's okay. the seats. Maybe it's just a seat in general. Yep. Um, so there's that. And then, uh, some crazy, crazy large bonus point offers on purchases in general. But like if you're a go, Oh, and if you're a go wild pass holder, you're treated similar to being a credit card holder in terms of value to the company. So you get bonus points for your purchases. But it's like 30 X or 20 X earning on ancillary spend. If you're 
a Go Wild Pass holder and a credit card holder, maybe. It's some huge number. I just, they don't, I mean. I still don't think they convinced me to do it. Yeah, they don't fly enough places. I, I don't know. Or maybe well, they, it's just our frontier point. They fly a lot of places, but they got to fly from where you are. Yeah. What were you using? Are the are the frontier points worth anything? A quarter. No, they're. Uh, it's a fixed redemption value. I would argue, in some ways, at least you know what you're getting. Yeah. Guess. <laughs> I guess. Pause is unconvinced. <laughs> right, you're not going to get outsized value, but at this point, the number of places and programs you have where outsized value for points is still a thing is diminishing no i i get that but like like what do you like okay so you get a fight i mean what is that it right like more and more folks are using these things for ancillary thing put their points for ancillary stuff yeah i i don't know i would assume that much like with how jeff does it you can redeem for a pack you can redeem for the works or for the bear fair depending on what you want because it's a fixed value point more or less right yeah so, I don't know. That's that's a theory. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's it's good props to them for coming up with another way of you know making a little bit of money and maybe people getting some benefit out of it. I don't know. It's hard yeah, for me to I, see it. But I will say, someone po- pointed out, although the average, I think the average total fare for like we got to remember they lost money last mm-hmm. quarter. They didn't this one. I'm sorry. They they didn't do nearly as well as they thought they were going to. Yep. And we talked about it last week and they were blaming, uh, all their traveler, all their regular passengers going to Europe instead. Um, <laughs> <Pause>. <laughs> that conversation. Um, someone pointed out that, uh, ancillary fees are up, but, uh, basically the, the sort of core fare number is that was down significantly, which, Arguably, is a capacity issue or, or overcapacity issue. So that's an interesting. Did did they exp- did they and others expand too quickly? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a good question. I mean, and they they talked about some of that as well when we when we talked last week about how they're going to handle. They could they see it continuing, right? Some of the European demand, but they also think they can make it up by you know switching up where they're flying and tweaking the yeah. route network a bit. So, yeah, I was. I mean. You know, a number of the airlines are having the low cost characters are having troubles. I was surprised. Spirit seems to have dropped its Boston to LA route. Hmm. Wow. Here, here's an interesting data point. Here's a data point. So, just poking on Frontier website, I decided to look at from Trenton where they fly. Midway shows up. Like, okay, sixty nine bucks with an overnight connection in Orlando. Sounds great. Let's do it. <laughs> And I assume it's like a six-hour overnight, so you can't really go home, go to a hotel, right? You can arrive at eleven forty-three and leave at seven thirty-five. Oh, that's that's oh, that'll be great. Eight hours, yeah. <laughs> Don't you just love sleeping in the airport? It's the greatest place to sleep. Well, there at least there's a Hyatt in the Orlando airport. There's a Hyatt in the terminal. You have to get out through security, but you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. not not great, Bob. So we're going to talk about a couple things in the bonus episode for our Patreon subscribers: um, Air India and their rebranding, and then. I think in general, just 767s on U.S. carriers, uh, specifically Delta and United, are kind of in flux, and there's a bunch of changes coming, and so we're going to talk about that as well. So if you're a Patreon subscriber, stick around for that. Uh, if not, thank you for listening to the show, 
and uh, sticking around and supporting us. And if you have any questions or comments, you can email us or tweet at us. We'd we like to hear from you. Um, yeah. Until next time, happy travels. Take care. Catch you next time.